0: cast style on. 1 2 3
1: 지로 체인지 기가이다 나 Hey Guys, welcome back to another tokurific episode of fanholds Toku Thursdays. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek Derek WC. I'm gonna be one of your hosts tonight and joining me tonight is my partner in crime for some kikaida some Android Kikaida. Why don't you give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight?
0: Hey, this is Justin?
1: Yeah! So I'm here with Justin, and we're continuing our index coverage of Android Kakaida, the live-action tokusatsu series. We are up to episode 6, which is titled Black Horse Showdown at the Dark Execution Ground. And I probably should have looked this up earlier, because I didn't, but we like to read those long-ass Wikipedia titles. So let me see what the long-ass Wikipedia title is of this episode i'm trying to remember let's see tokusatsu and the episode list Eh, it's not that much longer it's black horse waits in the execution zone so that's the wikipedia title whereas the the standard title is just black horse showdown at the dark execution ground they sound about the same the episode basically begins with Dark having abducted a tour bus full of people. And, of course, they play your and my favorite devil flute song over the intercom. And just like me, the passengers are like, Dude, can you do something about that awful-ass fucking music, you know? And, and then, of course, the, there's this glazed face tour guide that's like, Thank you, passengers, for choosing Dark Tours. But due to a schedule change, you're going to be taken to Dark's testing facility, and of course, the the tourists are all like gaping and yelling and complaining. And then all of a sudden, the guide does like this jump cut and. She turns into a male Dark Destructoid, and then all of a sudden they're all cowering in terror. Then they don't have anything to fucking say, right? And at that point, the Borg catchphrase is used way before the Borg were a thing, and the Dark Destructoid robot tells them, Resistance is futile, and they are now mere guinea pigs for... Dark's experiments, and then the tour bus stops at a gas station, which apparently is a secret dark facility or the mock-up for for a secret dark facility. And so the bus and the folks inside are lowered below ground level. And I I thought the model work on that was pretty cool because it's one of those kind of you know Ultraman Subaraya level models. You know they make a model of the gas station, and then the the bus kind of gets. Lowered beneath the the model and everything, and I thought that kind of looked pretty cool. What did what did you think of that model setup?
0: Yeah, I thought it was nice too. You know, sometimes sometimes it's painfully obvious. It's like cardboard and a little Hot Wheels car, but like this is that was a really nice shot.
1: Yeah, I thought I thought it was pretty neat. Uh, Though I was kind of confused because I'm like, okay, wait, so they're lowering them below ground level, but then like we jump cut to the next scene. And it's like the tourists, the same tourists from the bus are all being herded around, but it's in broad daylight. And they're clearly like above ground and there's like these pillars and these castle-like circular, like I guess grain sheds. Like I wasn't exactly sure what they were. And then of course you can see like, you know, Japanese mountains in the background and stuff. So you're kind of like, well, wait, they lowered them below ground, but then the next scene they're above ground. And I I think this is, pretty atypical for a Kikaida episode. I mean, sometimes there's these weird things where the only shooting locations they had, you know, it's like that, that joke we had, which has sort of been explained to my satisfaction that you can only set off explosions in japan and certain rock quarries and everything and that's why you know out of nowhere there'll be like a jump cut where they'll be fighting and all of a sudden they'll be in a rock quarry and it's like because you know some some gigantic explosions are going to be set off or whatever i i don't know if there's any rules for this you'd think at this point you know maybe they just didn't have any access to studios you know at that point like they they all seem to be filming on some kind of live location usually you know on this on this show so maybe they just they didn't have access to something that was large and indoors or whatever but i don't know like you you'd think they could have used like one of the sets they use for like professor gill or somebody like that you know like one of those kind of like dark sets you know where where he's always conversing you know even if it's just a room with like you know i don't know like the the red backlights or something like that but instead i guess you know they're they're all outside and i i guess like i took it as the tourists were going to be gassed but i guess maybe it's just the natural fog of this supposed area or whatever and you can hear the ground erupting and we are revealed to the titular villain of the piece the black horse who is basically a humanoid figure but he's got white gloves on his hands but he's got this horse head with like a a black horn so he's kind of sort of like a unicorn and then he's got like a white mane and a white tail of hair but there's kind of touches it's kind of punk rock like he's kind of got touches of red and then he's got these large red eyes and he's kind of got like fangs and stuff so it's this this kind of crazy thing that like some kind of you know Weird kid would like draw in school that thought he was like badass or something. You know? <laughs> like, like, or, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I mean, it's just this kind of outlandish looking thing. I mean, I, I thought it looked pretty cool, except for the fact that like he runs towards the tourists, and and anytime this suit actor or or the black horse, we'll we'll pretend it's the real character, but anytime the black horse runs towards somebody, the horse head, like the neck, is clearly not it's it's not i don't i'm trying to think of the right word it it, it's not braced so so the horse head doesn't stay stationary like it's actually very very loose in the neck so it it basically like the head kind of comically flops around because it's really a dude wearing like this horse head so like as he's running towards the tourists and making these like ear splitting screams and he's like. and he's all running towards the the tourists and everything and they're screaming actually his head is kind of like flopping back and forth and front and back like it just kind of goes like all over the damn place you know whenever he's on camera i'm just curious like like i know we we always kind of stop and discuss the the monster of the week and everything but what was your what was your first impression of black horse and and do you do you have any like solidified opinions about the the Dark Destructoid character.
0: When I first saw him, I was like, well, he's not a horse. He's a unicorn. Like, he clearly has a point.
1: <laughs>
0: I was like, why did they just call him Black Unicorn? But I, I guess, like, Black Unicorn is not terrifying enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, no, it's a Black Unicorn. Look out. Uh, well, yeah, I noticed the uh, the, th- the same thing about his neck. Like, whenever he was running around or were fighting Kakata, I was like, I was watching, and I was like, you know, he like if they're not caref- careful, he's gonna like rip his head off. And I was like, I bet there's somewhere in some vault out there. There's like bloopers where like he's running around and his head just flops off. Like, I yeah,
1: you, you think like because of how precarious the setup was. Like in some of those shots where he's running around or de- dealing with like cars or other fights, like you think there's some shot where that that entire neck just ripped right off or something. Like it it really did not seem like it was. It was designed for for action or, or or fight sequences. Like it was it was pretty fragile as far as I could tell. And I guess he's also got like a weapon, which basically I'll describe as this gigantic magnetic horseshoe that looks like it would probably fit right in on like, say, Adam West Batman or something. <laughs> like it's this <laughs> huge giant magnet with points on the end. And and it's kinda like he, he he's able to somehow it's kind of, apparently it's malleable even though it's a giant horseshoe magnet and he's able to kind of like snap the two ends together and then it it basically like sort of electrocutes the tourists and they're they it's sort of like they're set on like blue fire or something like that. And so he does this to a couple different tourists and at this point we cut back to Professor Gill who's quite pleased with the way Black Horse performs and he's basically ready now to have dark except bids for black horses services and everything and and then I th- this is something I was gonna ask you about too because w- while he's having this discourse it's not with any dark destructoid agents or, or you know the the typical androids that are dressed up in the the red headgear and the the purple jumpsuits or uh, purple the gray jumpsuits or whatever and Instead he's having conversations with like these robots. And they're they're kinda like these simplistic like square cubed shaped robots with like black and gray stripes. And then they've got these big giant sort of red circular eyes and everything. And I don't know why, but like I, I don't think I ever I mean I've seen the show now at least, you know, once or twice through. And I, I don't think, you know, this is one of those things where if we weren't doing a podcast, like, I wouldn't even give it a second thought. But I, I figure it's worth talking about because they kind of looked like, it kind of reminded me of, like, did you, uh, I I don't know, this may be dating me way, way more than yourself, but there used to be this ridiculous toy called 2XL. 40 leading publications love 2XL. He asks the questions you push buttons to answer. Giraffes are the only animals that make no sound, true or false. A uniquely educational toy. Correct, the next time you hear nothing, a giraffe might be coming. (laughs) Plays any eight-track cartridges. Teenagers love him. Adults can't resist him. Two, four, six, eight. This is the way we lose weight. 2XL now 36 tapes for all age groups by Migo and it was like this robot that basically you would insert a cassette tape or like some kind of weird uh, not uh, it, it wouldn't always be a cassette tape but like some kind of tape thing and it would like read you stories and tell you stuff and everything and its eyes would light up and that's kind of what what these guys reminded me of, whatever they're called, these little, like, sort of dark servant, you know, communication droids or whatever they are, you know? And I, I don't know, I just, I, for some reason at this point, I felt like it was worth isolating and pointing these guys out because they, they, they sort of stood out to me this time around. I don't know, did they, did they stand out to you at all or did you just kind of think, oh, well, this is just, this is part of, you know, Professor Gill's setup and you didn't give it a second thought.
0: Yeah, they kind of did. Like, there's a scene where he, it's like he kind of looks directly at the camera while he's talking. So I was like, who's he talking to? Is he talking to the audience? Like, is he, is he, like, like, you know, cluing us in? And then I noticed those robots and I was like, well, who are these guys? They, like, to me, they look like simplistic rock 'em sock 'em robot heads or something. So I was like, well, who are these guys? Are they, like, the people who were going to manufacture you know they're going to like mass, mass manufacture the black horse or, or you know or what like what who are these guys like what do they do like I, I was, it wasn't really clear and uh, clear and I was like starting to question it
1: yeah like i mean i guess you know strictly speaking these are probably just stationary things but conceivably maybe in the story you you could assume maybe they could actually move around or maybe construct more more Dark Destructoids and stuff like like you were saying before, maybe mass-produce, you know, successful, you know, agents and of Dark, basically. But you, you, obviously you, you would not see them around. I suppose if it was, like, you know, ILM and George Lucas, maybe they'd all be, like, you know, buzzing around, Professor Kimoji and stuff like that. But in this case, they're just kind of stationary guys and stuff. And at this point, we go back to the Kimoji house... And Mitsuko answers the phone that's ringing. And it turns out that it's actually Professor Komoji himself on the other end of a payphone. He doesn't say anything at first. And so Mitsuko and Jiro think that this is maybe like a stalker call or something, because it's like mushy mushy, mushy mushy, and nobody answers and shit. And then Jiro picks up the phone, he's like, let me handle this. And he tells him to like knock knock it off. And the, the reason why he doesn't say anything is bef- because Professor Komoji, as we all know, is kind of amnesiac, and he's not really sure. He just, you know, he, he sort of managed to recall this phone number, and he's trying to find some clues to his identity. And And he asks on the other line, you know, is my name Komoji? And, 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 you know, what number is this? It's like, I just remember the number, but not really who I am or where I'm from. And, of course, Jiro quickly realizes that it is Mitsuko and Masaru's father. But, unfortunately, a gang of what I'll call Japanese hipsters dressed up like the Blues Brothers show up. And they chase <laughs> Professor Kamoji away from the phone booth. It's like, they're, it's like four Japanese dudes, and they've got these black fedoras and black slacks and shirts and then they've got these like white ties and basically they're they're chasing after professor komoji and they basically you know shoo him out of the phone booth fairly quickly and at this point jiro decides like you you might be wondering well how are they going to track him down now well jiro says i know what we'll do we'll check in with the phone company and find out where the call originated from so they do that and, of course, in the, in the meantime, the gang that's chasing Professor Komoji loses him because he climbs up a building balcony. And, by coincidence, he ends up in the apartment-slash-office of our favorite private investigator, Hattori Hanpei, and he asks for his help and of course Hatori is kind of like well how we must talk of my payment like I don't just do things for free and on professor Komoji's hand I I was assuming at the time that it was a wedding ring and he basically he, he takes off this diamond ring and gives it to Hatori Hanpei and says this will be payment for your services and then they end up you know Hatori has an idea they swap clothes and Hatori Hanpei basically leads these these you know hipster Japanese Blues Brother guys away from Professor Komoji because now Komoji's wearing his sort of traditional Japanese I guess I I don't know if the kimono is the right term but he, he's wearing like a robe basically uh, and they, they swap places
0: can we back up just a second yeah yeah because I had a thought like it, it you see the shot of like dr. Komoji like climbing up these like balconies or like a fire escape or something but in my head I was like how did he get up that high and like when I saw that I was like well this is a trap because the real Komuji like couldn't do that like he's probably a dark Destructoid or something like that oh, okay. that's what I thought because I was like how did he get up that high he's an old man <laughs>
1: Well, apparently he's he's a wily old man. I don't know. I guess I guess you're not supposed to think about that. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's one of those things where the, you know. Again, it's it's what what live sets. You know what scout locations they had access to. Like maybe in the script it was like he just walked up a fire escape. But I I don't know. Maybe there aren't too many fire escapes in Japan or or whatever. You know whatever. You know locations they had access to you know that was the closest thing they could get but yeah i don't i don't know i guess i guess i didn't i didn't think about that too much but it makes sense when you say it you know like you're kind of like how the hell did he get up there like you know is he freaking you know spider-man or something (laughs) you know like like how did he he actually get up there but i guess you're not supposed to think about that too much it's like he's just he accidentally comes in through the window of a vittori hanpe's apartment and stuff but I, I guess at that point like now professor komoji's wearing hatori hanpei's robe and hatori hanpei is dressed up in professor komoji's suit so at that point he's actually running away from those you know gang guys and everything and in the meantime jiro, mitsuko and masaru have caught up to the phone booth that professor komoji was calling them from and they notice the, the ongoing chase And then at that point, Jiro decides to pursue in his sidecar. And, of course, like, I guess maybe, you know, Hattori Hanpei didn't have time to make out with the steering wheel this time or whatever, (laughs) but, you know, I guess the green, you know, VW bug ends up stalling out, and then, of course, the chase turns to, like, an on-foot chase, because I guess he doesn't have time to, you know, movie in a dinner with the the VW bug or whatever. And, like, at this point, like, I kind of thought the chase sequence went, like straight up pure comedy at that point. I mean, it, I, you may as well have had like the Benny Hill music in the background because they're in they're in kind of like a stadium and stuff and the way the way, you know, Hatori Hanpei like I mean, I I've compared him to kind of like, you know, Johnny Depp in a lot of big budget movies and and in some ways maybe Johnny Depp playing Buster Keaton or even kind of like a whole Charlie Chaplin vibe to the actor. I mean, I really do feel like he evokes that kind of sensibility. And and in this sense, he's, you know, I mean, he's he's leading them on a chase. But it's like this funny thing of like, almost like you you think they could catch up to him if they really needed to, but for the purposes of this sequence, it's almost like a dance where, you know, he's running up the, the, the stadium stalls and they're slowly coming after him, and he just kind of leads them on this goofy, you know, oh, I'm going to go up one, you know, one stairwell, and then I'm going to walk across the stairwell, and then I'm going to go down and up, and we're going to do a zigzag, and all that kind of stuff, and it's, it, to, to me, I mean, I, I, I imagine it's just supposed to be there for, for pure yucks and stuff. I, I don't know, what was your, because I, I know I know we talked about the character a lot, and there, there were points where you you actively disliked him and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm just curious what your take on this whole situation is with him so far.
0: Yeah, it, it seemed like they could have totally, you know, caught up to him at any point. I also thought it was kind of funny. It's like, it seemed like this location is like a horse racing track, and they mm. had a black horse there. So I was like, maybe that's like, you know, adds to like the comedic element of it a little bit.
1: Yeah, and, yeah.
0: And then later on in the episode when, you know, Jiro transforms, you have him chasing black horse around on the racetrack itself i thought that
1: yeah no i i totally noticed that because that's at that point it's like i mean i guess you know at this point you know obviously black horse is showing up and and then you know tori Hanpei realizes that these these hipster blues brother gang guys are actually dark androids they transform and, and he also has the sort of realization that the person he was protecting, who he didn't really know at the time, is Mitsuku and Masaru's father. Like, he didn't realize he was helping, you know, Dr. Komoji and everything. And, you know, at, at that point, like, they, there's a sequence where, you know, it's like they, they all have these near misses and stuff, because then they cut back to Hatori's office, and you can see Mitsuko and Masaro, you can hear them arriving, but Komoji gets all nervous and runs off so that they can't reconcile, you know, because we've got, you know, what is it, like 30-something-odd episodes before we can get <laughs> yeah. to that point. So... You know, so he, of course, runs out of the office probably the same way he came, doing his super old man acrobatics out the, <laughs> the window or whatever, you know? And and then at that point, kind of like you, you were you were alluding to, you know, the, the cherry red guitar of justice plays in the stadium. And it's like he's just in time to save Hattori Hand and everything. And, you know, Kakaida is now in his sidecar and he's driving off all the dark destructoids and hattori Hanpei is making his getaway and he's flashing the peace symbol when he jumps in his vw bug and and we get to the sequence that you're talking about where you know it, it, it pretty much looks like they're on a horse race track like it, it's really funny because you've got the green vw bug in the lead and then you've got Black Horse looking like Zachary Quinto Spock, you know, bouncing up and down with his funny-ass horse head, you know, flopping all over the place in the middle. And then you've got the sidecar that's pulling up on the rear and everything. And, and yeah, that that also was very, very comical and everything. And, and I mean, eventually the sidecar catches up to Black Horse and he blocks the chase. And, you know, for the most part, it's a fairly typical fight that ensues, but then... Kakita ends up knocking one of the Dark Destructoids into Black Horse's path, and he's just not having that shit. And he disintegrates him with what he calls the Electro Disintegrator, which you know is what we're referring to as the giant horseshoe of doom or whatever. You know, this this Adam West Batman type contraption and everything. And th- this all, I also thought was another weird sequence, and I'd ask you what you think of it. But we we basically catch up to the whole big commercial break but it ends kind of like on a cliffhanger and everything and black horse moves in on Kakita, and i mean he pretty much topples the entire stadium on his head and when we cut back it's almost like uh, not that it didn't happen but that like if you thought it was like super serious it's like they didn't bother to check the rubble they didn't bother to finish the job like we we just cut to another sequence after the commercial break where we see Mitsuko and she's like, what father, you know, and, and, and Jiro's explaining to her that, you know, their father has amnesia and the Tori Hanpei was helping them and kind of catching the kids up to speed on what's going on, you know, but I, I don't know. What did you think of that? Cause, cause it is kind of an abrupt jarring thing where there's clearly a time skip between the commercial and they don't bother to explain how they got from Kakita being buried under a stadium full of rubble to Jiro being totally cool now. I mean, you know, I guess you can imagine, well, he's fucking Android Kakita, and that <laughs> didn't kill him. But you, you start to wonder, like, well, why didn't Black Horse, like, I don't know, go in there with his, you know, unicorn horn and try to, like, stab him again while he was covered under all that that stadium rubble and stuff?
0: I I, I thought it was very jarring. You know, it's, it's one thing to, like, you know for the bus to, like, go underground and it to, like, come out into, like, another area that's clearly not underground, like, that's one thing, like, I, I can kind of overlook that, but then, like, to, to completely, like, ignore the, you know, the little commercial break cliffhanger, and like, not even address it, I was like, well, okay, They're like, I guess that's what we're going with, we're, yeah. we're not even going to show, like, getting out of the rubble or yeah. or anything, it's just, like, well that was nothing like a so, so about your dad <laughs>
1: like yeah like you think there'd be at least a scene where he you know comes up out of the rubble you know uh, you know rubs off some of the, the the fake dust or whatever and is like guess they mistook me for dead now change back to jiro or whatever like some something like that but but they just they they're just like ah kids don't care about that shit like let's <laughs> get back to the 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 quote unquote plot you know and you're like oh boy you know, and, 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 you know, getting back to that plot, basically, I mean, obviously, Jiro explains that their father has amnesia. And at this point, Hitori Hanpei pretty much kind of is guilted into giving back the diamond ring because Mitsuko and Masaro explain that that ring, you know, that basically it confirms that that he's actually met with their father because they recognize the ring. And they also say that the ring belonged to their late mother. So at that point, Hattori Hampe's kind of like, oh, well, then I better, you know, give this back to you. You know, because clearly it it has sentimental value and it belongs to you. And he kind of, you know, I, I don't know. Like, it, it, it's almost like, you know, like... Y- I understand, like you, you kind of think like there's certain aspects of the character that are a little despicable and everything, and there there is some slimy nature to it where he, he he was intending to keep it, but like it's almost like he's sort of guilted into like okay, well I'll give it back to you and I will help you for free, you know? And it's like it's like one of those things where it's like well yeah, you know, you probably should just help them for free, but <laughs> but he's making it like it's this big saintly thing that he's doing all of a sudden and stuff.
0: It, it kind of surprised me when he gave the ring back, even even if it was, like, you know, slightly begrudgingly, and he was, like, guilted into it. I was like, oh, I was like, well, at least he did that. You know, that's nice.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like like I said, he's not he's not an all-bad guy, and he, he does have some moments where he does some, some solids for the cast and everything. So, I mean, you, you'll probably go back and forth as you watch the, the show and everything, but, I mean, you know, this is a moment where at least, you know, he... He, he did them a solid, you know? Like And so at, at this point we, we go back to the dark secret base and Black Horse is updating Professor Gill and Professor Gill decides that they're going to strike at Mitsuku and Masaru by leaving this fake birthday card to lure them into a trap. So they pretty much fall for it because they, they get this card and it's wishing Masaru a happy birthday and supposedly it's from Professor Kamoji. And then he says, well, but just don't tell anybody, but, but meet me in a secret location. And so now they're on that same dark tour bus from earlier in the episode. But luckily for them, Hattori Hanpei in drag has secretly been tailing them this entire time. <laughs> so he's also on the bus. And dressed secretly.
0: Alright, so the question is, how can I help you reposition your brand identity? Answer. We team you up with a hot female co-star. Usually
1: I play the female love interest. Hello, my baby! Hello, my honey. Hello,
0: About the cross dressing thing in the past, funny, today, disturbing.
1: Lady, if you don't find a rabbit with lipstick amusing, you and I have nothing to say to each other. So it's like it's it's like one of those things like where you're like, uh, what? You're like Garth is gonna be like, did you ever get a funny feeling in your pants when Hatori Hanpei, like dressed in drag? He's like, no, <laughs> no. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, Hatori Hanpei is dressed in drag, and of course, uh, not really inconspicuously, Jiro is in his fucking bright yellow banana sidecar, who is also tailing the bus, like nobody can fucking see him, right? And and then, of course, Professor Gill does see him, and he's got, like, a video camera feed on the back of the bus, so he starts to play his dark flute to to run him off the road. And then, as if on cue, a dark destructoid truck, you know it's a dark destructoid truck, not because it's, like, super souped up or, you know, looks like all, you know, android-like or anything, but because it's just your basic green giant truck with, like, a destructoid sticker like yeah. slapped on the front of it and everything. And that pulls up behind Jiro when he's in the sidecar and it starts to attack him and they run him off the road. And of course, because Gil's playing the dark flute, he can't transform. And of course, you know, I, I know the last episode I had a big excuse as to, you know, why Kikaida you know, or or why Jiro eventually could transform, you know, because the dark flute sound was either blocked or manipulated or something like that. But like this one, I, I don't have any, I don't have any no prize for it. Like I have, it's basically just, he's, he's run off the road. He can't transform the dark flutes playing. And then all of a sudden it's like, fuck you. I'm transforming. <laughs> It's time for me to transform, you know, and it's just like I, I don't know why. Like, I, I, I didn't see anything that would explain why he stopped hearing the dark flute all of a sudden. So,
0: yeah, I, I was thinking of your explanation and I was like, Well, there was nothing that interrupted it. He was just like, Now's my chance. And I was like, well, What chance? It still yeah,
1: chance for what? Like, like, yeah, I, I, I don't know what the chance was. I, I yeah, I wasn't exactly sure. Like, like, a lot of times that's not, you know, clearly illustrated as far as I can tell, but it's 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 more like, uh, ah, it's the twelve minute mark, time for me to transform, you know, like basically. And, you know, Kakita kind of wrestles with the truck, but then he kinda quickly like stows away underneath, which I don't get. I guess I guess the Dark Destructoids thought they ran him over, but in reality he was just kinda hiding out underneath the truck. And Masuku and Masaro and Hatori in drag are lowered below the same at that same gas station from earlier so we see a reuse of that cool little model shot and everything and at least at this point like Kakita infiltrates the dark base and we see the guy who's turning that wheel to like lower the bus below ground and everything and he knocks out that dark agent but of course now they're back in that same above ground location with the whole fog and grain sheds and mountains and everything and at that, that point Black Horse is going to attack them and it sounds like their explanation is this is Dark's execution ground tying back into the title where useless androids are sent to be basically taken out for pasture you know like because you see these these other dark destructoid robots that are kind of like broken up on the on the grassy floor and everything like that. And of course Black Horse is saying that this is also where Kakaida is going to go, you know, basically implying that he's useless as well because he's a, a good natured robot and doesn't follow Dark's orders and everything. And and then Matsuku and Masaro are tied up on this even bigger gigantic horseshoe in the field above and they're basically being held hostage, and Black Horse agrees to spare them if Kakaida just doesn't fight back. But luckily, now Hatori is no longer in drag. He's actually in one of those dark destructoid outfits with the red mask and the gray jumpsuit, and he's actually sneaking in to help them out and everything. So in the background, we see Kakaida getting beat up and stabbed, and he's not fighting back. But Hatori Hanpei, you know, pulls off his disguise and goes to free Mitsuku and Masaru, and he, he even ends up giving Black Horse the quote-unquote ninja slip because he's supposed to be descended from these these famous masters and everything. So he he, he does occasionally these weird things that are you know quote-unquote magical, but usually just involve like you know jump cuts or you know, some kind of goofy thing and everything, you know, Kakita's actually fighting back now and, and beating up all the dark destructoid troops and Hatori frees Mitsuku and Masaru with ninja magic, which is basically that they didn't actually tie them up in the first place. So they like just kind of shrug off the, the, the rope that's having them tied up and everything. And then there's this kind of, I I thought this was kind of interesting. I mean, there, there's kind of like this slow motion fight sequence between Black Horse and Kakkaida, and that's kind of what we we finish up with. I mean there's there's that weird moment where the the horse head is trying to like eat Kakita's
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: hand, you know, and it's kind of in slow-mo and everything like that. And then, you know, it it, it kind of deteriorates at that point into, you know, Kakita does his giant swing move and, and kind of throws him off. And then he does his double chop. And the Black Horse tries to use the Electro-Disintegrator, but Kakita kind of turns it against him almost. So it's it's almost like he uses the electric end in combination with the Electro-Disintegrator because he kind of turns the Electro-Disintegrator back on Black Horse, and then he's like, the end, and, and then takes him out that way. So it's almost like he sort of combines both their super moves together which you know sort of switches it up i mean i know most times you're used to the person doing the same super move you know week after week and that's what destroys them but they kind of you know they kind of changed it up a little bit and everything and you know basically at that point you know mitsuku and Masaro are calling out to jiro but of course he's the man and he's already on the road riding away and stuff like that and pretty much next up we've got bull kong in the next episode that's coming up and everything i you know i i enjoyed this episode i i did kind of wonder though like when mitsuko and Masaro are like hanging out at their house i mean i guess it's kind of convenient for the plot because dr komoji can call a number he remembers and they can be there to answer it but i was kind of wondering like shouldn't they like not be at the one place where everybody would know they are <laughs> yeah. like you know like like aren't isn't dark trying to hunt them down i mean clear and and what kind of cracks me up is like i like how like professor gill's like we won't just like capture them outright we're going to leave them a note to lure them to our base and then we're going to capture them and i'm just kind of like you know where they are dude why can't you just like go there and capture them
0: after a while it was like they forgot about dr kamyoji altogether and it's like you know i, I kind of expected the episode then end with, like, you know, like, I don't know, like, the Incredible Hulk, like, he's walking along the highway, and we hear, like, the Lonely Man theme, like, I kind of expected we'd see him as the episode was ending, but it's like, nah, I guess, I guess that's for another episode or something.
1: Yeah, because it's like, they, they don't want to, it's like, they want to toy with the idea of them passing, you know, as, like, passing ships in the night and stuff, but then they don't want to, you know, blow their whole load, you know, because they know that's, that's part of the ongoing struggle of this premise where it's like the kids are separated from their dad and stuff like that so it's I, I mean in some ways it can be a little tiresome because it's part of the formula you know it's like sort of formulaic it's like the same thing it's like you know david banner is never going to cure himself of the hulk unless it's like the very very last episode or whatever it's like, type of thing.
0: and it's like you said it is number it is episode number six and you know, and then like I said earlier, seeing him like climb the, the balcony or the fire escape, I was like, well, it's episode six, so it's, they're either not gonna meet him or this is like a trap. Like he's a dark destructor. Like that's that's kind of what I was, thinking. Like they, like maybe they would meet him, and then he'd be like, Haha, I got gotcha. you. And you know, it turns out he's like the the monster for next week or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess you know, it's though they they did already kind of do that with like some of the other episodes where they had. Destructoids pretending to be Dr. Komoji before, so it'd probably be a little too soon for them to go back to that well again, I think, but yeah, I I see what you're saying, though, I mean, it it does totally make sense, where you're like, dude, old man can do, like, Spider-Man-like moves and stuff, and jump up on balconies and shit, you know, so, but yeah. I, you know, um, but but like I said, for the most part, I mean, I, I pretty, you know, I know we're nitpicking about things and yeah. stuff, but I mean, you know, it, it's done in love and fun and everything like that. I mean, I I enjoy all of these episodes in general. I mean, Kikaida's, you know, one of my favorite tokusatsu guys and stuff like that. And it's, it's fun to sort of, you know, look at these episodes in detail and everything and, and, and check stuff out. So, you know, overall, I'm, you know, I'm usually you know, happy to revisit them and stuff like that. And this is just us kind of, you know, going through granularly and, and, and looking at all these different, you know, events in the episode. Like,
0: you know, like the cliffhanger that wasn't, it's not, you know, we ponder, like, what happened, but it's not like, it's not like out of anger. Like, I know I know some people would probably watch it and be like, what is, what happened? Like, they ran out of money? Like, this is bull crap. I'm not going to watch this. But I'm like... When I was watching it, I was like, wait, I started laughing. I was like, what happened? Like, uh, you know, is <laughs> it a scene missing or something? But like, you know, it's like you said, like we we kind of nitpick it out of love because we, we both genuinely enjoy the show.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's just one of those things where you're you're sometimes there are these things where you're you're having fun looking at stuff in dismay and just going, "Well, wait a minute, dude." Like, and and that's why like sometimes you'll go back and like rewatch the same sequence over again and be like, "Wait a minute, did I somehow miss what the explanation was for the flute not not affecting them anymore and you're like no no i really didn't it just just doesn't work anymore it's time for the flute to stop you know so that's that's basically sometimes all you get sometimes star trek comic books mythology video games toys star wars just about any geeky topic you can think of could be covered on The Hammer Podcast, presented by two true freaks. Come join me, Gene Hendricks, for whatever my disjointed mental processes can come up with. And be careful, or you might just learn something before we're done. The Hammer Podcast is available monthly, both on its own iTunes feed And at 2TrueFreaks.com Alright, well I guess guess this kind of wraps it up for this episode of Toku Thursdays. We hope you've enjoyed listening to our pontifications on android Kikaida and his Cherry red guitar of Justice. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, feedback, you can leave them at FanholesPodcast at gmail.com. Of course, in addition to Toku Thursdays, we have plenty of other spin-off shows such as Transformers Tuesdays, Mobile Suit Mondays, and Sentai Saturdays. And of course, we have the Fanholes Proper podcast. We are on tons and tons of social media. We would appreciate any reviews on our iTunes page. We can be streamed on Stitcher Radio. And, of course, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. So, until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek W.C., holding my ears with my hands so I don't hear that crazy dark flute music. Signing off.
0: And this is Justin. Dark, 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 dark. Listen mm-hmm. to that uh, Star Trek podcast you sent, Durango. Oh, oh I okay. like that. Yeah, that was...
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they, they, they obviously, like. I, I thought of you when I listened to that because those guys often mention how they you know, enjoy Star Trek, the motion picture. And I know we gave you, you know, tons of crap about it. <laughs> yeah. but I mean, like, like that's, that's like one of those things where it, it's like, there there are the, the contingent out there that are like, I think this movie gets a bad rap, you know, and stuff. And that was, you know, that was kind of their mission statement to be like, you you should revisit this with like a different, a different outlook, a different pair of eyes and stuff like that. And it's not like I went back and watched like the motion picture, like a hundred times after I listened to that <laughs> podcast. But, but I mean, I appreciated like their, enthusiasm for it even though i don't you know it's like i probably don't necessarily agree with it but but like i get i get where they're coming from do you know what i mean like where you're like you know there's always going to be something where you think you know hey this movie got a bad rap like it's not you know like you know like like maybe something like for me like that would be like the the john carter movie where i'm like hey this gets a bad rap just because it you know didn't make any money at the box office and people Give it a ton of shit or whatever, but I still think that was a really good movie, you know. So it's like I guess to, you know, to everybody's to each their own, you know.
0: Yeah. Man, it took me forever to download that Ultraman Returns torrent. Like,
1: it, it, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, I've had it. Well, I finally finished it, and I, I think I shut it off like today. But I think I finished it sometime like on wednesday or thursday i forget when but like it seemed like the guy who was seeding it you know did it on purpose so that you could you know you would actually you know share like at least one to one because he'd come on and like people would get you know like seven to fifteen percent and then he'd go away and then you'd you you know you'd end up seeding like you know 14 gigabytes worth of that one little patch you know and then and then he'd come back and you know people would get you know like you know 50 percent done and then you'd see to see that a whole shitload for everybody else who wanted it and stuff like that and that that seemed to be how it went and then towards the end it was like I think it was like 90 I don't know 99.8 percent and I just had to get that last little smidgen or whatever and then after that i just left it running like i think i think i pretty much seeded it like two to one so i don't feel guilty or anything i was just like dude like i mean i've i've done you know time and a half as far as that goes <laughs> so i don't feel, like bad about it so uh yeah i mean you know and then of course uh you know i cried when i learned that supergirl was picked up for another season <laughs> And that it's moving to the CW. And then I really cried when I learned uh, her weepy-ass sister is still signed on, too. Like, apparently she's definitely signed on for the new season. Like, I was kind of hoping, like, dude, what if they just, like, eject Supergirl into, like, the CW Arrowverse? And, like, then she's got to get a whole new supporting cast. But then, like, that's not going to happen because her stupid sister is still part of the cast, so... Mm -hmm. I wonder if Valley McBeal's like later for this shit. I, I'm too good to be on a CW show or whatever. I wonder, it, wonder how that's gonna go down.
0: If they got rid of her, I'd be more inclined to like give it another try. Mm. And I'm sure it would save them money if they got rid of her too.
1: Well, it's. I mean, I'm sure the CW is not gonna pay whatever CBS was paying for. Her. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, like because <clears throat> I'm sure. I'm sure that means everything's getting a drastic pay cut across the board, which, you know, is like. I guess for the, you know, the, the, I I don't mean to be disparaging, but I mean, for the people that are, you know, relatively unknown, say for that show, I mean, you know, you could see, uh, you know, James and, and little toy man jr. and all those as, you know, signing up and it's like, okay, whatever Uh, we want to work. But I, I could see Ally McBeal being like, uh, this is, you know, later for this shit. It's like you know, got to get out of here, so I got to start making out with my steering wheel and stuff. You know, <laughs> got to get off the the horse track and stuff. It's like don't don't want floppy horsehead coming after you. <laughs> yeah, I guess dark dark unicorn or black unicorn or I don't know evil unicorn doesn't sound quite right, does it?
0: Yeah.
1: Hello. Hey hey. How was the show? It was good. It was good. You mean it was good without me? <laughs> it was it was great <laughs> without you. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> we we had a horse head and everything.
1: As <laughs> <laughs> hmm. should guys, be expected. Guys and drag <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We were discussing the merits of uh finding bugs bunny sexually attractive in drag because <laughs> oh, that's that's such a hot button topic these days I guess so yeah we're, we're current and hip and in the now even though we're talking about a old tokusatsu from like the early 70s What this cannot be.